Hi, and welcome to the Religion and Story podcast with your host, Stephen, Daniel, and Michael Crouch. On this week's Religion and Story podcast, we're going a little bit out of the ordinary. Usually we have a conversation on whatever that week's topic is, but this week we would like to have a little bit of a debate. Now, we're going to do our best to have the most civil debate that we possibly can, but we're going to have a discussion where we know we have a bit of a disagreement to begin with. This week's debate topic is how should the Christian view uh, the beginning parts of Genesis? How important is it for the the Christian life, Christian faith, Christian theology? Uh, Stephen is going to be uh, presenting the traditional side, is what I would call it, but the side that says that uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are not only very important for the Christian faith, Uh, but there are implications to how we interpret that. Daniel will be offering an alternative uh, interpretation, and of course I'll let Daniel explain more of that when it is uh, his turn. So with that, uh, we'll have opening statements where each side will explain their position. And Stephen, since you have the more traditional side, why don't you start us off? Sure thing. So the importance of Genesis to... A Christian is that it is really the beginning point of our story that we see in the Bible. And I say story, I, I don't like to uh, use that word. I like to use the actual word event because it did happen. It's not just something that was made up uh, because that's my whole uh, point of this discussion is that it is a literal a literal writing, a literal event that actually happened. The the main thing that we need to look at is that God's word is inspired and the over and over again that we see in scripture that not only does the Bible back up that Genesis is a literal event, that it makes it quite clear that it is a literal event and flows perfectly throughout the rest of the narrative that is seen in scripture. Uh, Once we look at, how it is plainly written, you really have to start to try and dig deep holes and find ways that other things can be vaguely uh, a change in translation to make it really fit the picture that it would be symbolic. And so you're really stretching your arm out there to find things that are going to make it fit a symbolic meaning. So once you understand that Genesis is a literal translation, you can then start looking at how it fits into an actual timeline of what goes on in the Bible and really say, okay, well, the first thing that, something that I just recently came across is the timeline of Cain and Abel and how there are some things that when you look at them on a surface level, it may not make sense. And I'll get into those later in the discussion, but I just want to make sure that Once we've established that the narrative shows that Genesis is a literal event, then you can actually go through the Bible and look at the timeline that's presented and see that it is clearly a literal event. All right. Thank you, Stephen. Daniel, why don't you give us your opening statement? Uh, So sort of the case that I'm going to be presenting is that um, Genesis 1 through 11 are likely not 
descriptions of historical events. That includes the uh, the age of the earth, uh, the beginnings of uh, human civilization. Those are the two uh, primary uh, ideas that people might gather from those first 11 chapters. Um, but I, I want to go on uh, beyond that and say that not um, because these chapters aren't presenting a historical event, that does not mean that we can dismiss the authority of Scripture. And I, I, I want to make both, both the case that Genesis 1-11 through 11 are uh, likely not historical, but also that Scripture remains authoritative and inspired by the Spirit. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into that, but I think we will um, we will continue on in that discussion as we go. Certainly. So, Daniel, why don't we continue with you? And do you have any reactions to Stephen's opening statement? Um, anything that you want to be clarified or uh, just opening remarks uh, concerning what he said? Uh, sure, yeah. I had a, a few thoughts while you were talking, Stephen, obviously. Um, and there's... Uh, I can't remember everything because I'm making notes as you go along and I forget them as we get to the next point. But uh, one thing that I, I remember is uh, talking about how obvious it is in Scripture that, okay, 1 through 11 is depicting plain historical events. Um, and you have, to, you have to stretch to get the other conclusion that it, it's not historical. Um, and one thing I, I hope to make the case for as we talk is that uh, 1 through 11, I'm going to say that it's actually, um, if you're reading it right, it seems to lean more towards um, a non-historical description of history um, or of uh, the beginnings of Israel, uh, that it's actually apparent that it's trying to say something else. But I'll also make the case that um, when we are able to trust the modern uh, scholarly community, uh, not only for biblical studies, but specifically in terms of history, uh, historiography, uh, science, um, archaeology, and all, all of those different um, scholarly communities, who when they tell us um, the age of the earth or the beginnings of civilization or anything like that, um, that and we see that that seems to collide with this story in uh, the Bible, uh, one through eleven. That we can say, okay, I, I can trust these people, and I think there is a different avenue for interpreting Scripture that allows us to have both of those things. Um, so that's two different ways to go about it, and I think um, I may uh, go back and forth between those two different ways of making this point. All right. Stephen, do you have any reactions to Daniel's opening statement or anything he said up to this point? Sure. So anything that we look at uh, regarding um, what we were not uh, witnesses to see, but we have to look at those and put them in, uh, in the framework of what the Bible says. If we have a scientific finding that tells us that uh, the first uh, child of Joseph and Mary was actually a guy named Bob. Well, then we just have to say that, okay, well, there's something wrong. Um, and that 
If that is the case, then that makes the Bible untrue. Mary wasn't a virgin. Jesus was not born of a virgin. And so we have to, or we either have to put our, all of our eggs in the basket and go with what the Bible says, or we really have to just write off the whole thing because it loses its inspiration. God's word would not be uh, tainted in that way. Yeah. Um, and, and so instead of using a hypothetical, I will say, um, if we found out that, uh, or found that the earth was billions of years old or trillions of years old, that means the earth is not young. And so creation never could have happened as the Bible says it did. That is what this whole argument is really going towards. And so now we have to really look at these things and compare them to what scripture says. If scripture says something different, then those things can't be true, even if you have some evidence to back them up. Okay, so let's uh, continue with that. Where I, I would disagree with is just your uh, how you're going about interpreting the Bible, how you're interpreting Scripture. Um, so uh, I do want to give uh, preference to the to revelation from God. That, that's what we consider the Bible to be. We, um, as Christians, we are claiming that, yes, God, um, in, in various ways, through various people, uh, has given us a revelation, divine knowledge that he's shared with us. Um, but it's also important to remember that in this divine revelation, he is speaking um, both, A, through... Uh, limited, finite human beings, and B, he's speaking in different genres. Um, so if, uh, if someone, if you're talking about parables, people know if, if I say this parable never actually happened, no one has a problem with that because they recognize, oh, this is the genre of that story. Um, and so it, I just want to make clear that it is possible for something to be written in the Bible and it not to have historically happened, and for that to be okay with, I think, 100% of Christians. Uh, is that fair to say, Stephen? I actually do not think it is, and I'll tell you why. Uh, because God would not speak in parables within Scripture and use symbolism if it wasn't clearly explained, especially he would not use symbolism if it was going to be in reference to something that was very impactful, such as the story of Genesis. Uh, the reason it's so impactful is because it contains the origin of humans, the origin of sin, and really the need for Christ himself. And you're going to say, well, that none of that changes how the gospel is presented, but it does. But for the two reasons that I gave, the origin of uh, mankind and the origin of sin, and how they then become meshed together, because that does not occur without a young earth and a, a creation story that actually explains it. You cannot have man evolving from whatever you want to call uh, the evolution of man or have an introduction of Satan into the story if all of this is symbolic. Yeah. So, Stephen, let me ask you a question, uh, and I'm not trying to trick you or anything. I just uh, wanting to get clarification. Do you believe that all parables that Jesus teaches are clear and straightforward? And um, I'm hoping you answered no, because that's because uh, I think that some of them are confusing. Well, 
I mean, if we're talking about like what the actual meaning of the parables are, no, that's why we have Bible classes that we're discussing. So what is the actual story where we've all been in a class where we say, well, who's the sower? What is the seed? What do each of the soils represent? Okay. And so, um, and Jesus actually does give an explanation for those. Revelation is a symbolic book where it talks about the end times, but again, we can clearly see what is being referenced uh, uh, because some of those references were made in the Old Testament as well. So I'm more so going towards something like the parable of the shrewd manager, where someone could read that and think, is Jesus telling us to, to lie about stuff? But obviously, upon further reading... That might not be what they're going towards. What I'm trying to get you to say is that the what's important, what you're saying is important for this not being a parable. It's not that it's difficult to understand, but the weight of the story and the importance of what is being communicated by. It. Am I understanding you correctly there? Yeah, that's what I was meaning by the impact of changing right. it from creation to, or sorry, literal to symbolic. You you then change what we know as the origin of sin and the nature of humans in that sense okay. because we we don't know how it originated then and then we don't know that there is a purpose for having Christ come because uh, well let me just throw one uh, wrench in the spokes and then I'll throw it over to Daniel uh, if if mankind evolved from whatever uh, you want them to have evolved from, uh, at what point does man become conscious of his sin? And at what point does sin enter the world? And if things are evolving and dying over time, then that means death has then entered the world before sin came. And I know that the obvious comeback to this is, well, death is also, uh, or sin is symbolic also. Uh, why don't you try and take that one, Daniel? Okay, so I have three, maybe four things. It depends on how much of I can, I can remember. Uh, a few things just quickly. One, I will say that uh, I thought Michael was going to make this point, but he didn't, that not all parables are clear. Um, not the message, even the fact that they are parables. Um, the most infamous example of that is the rich man and Lazarus, which there is uh, centuries of debate talking about if this was a, like, is this a story of something that actually happened? Or is this a parable? Uh, second quick thing is that... Mainly because um, of the name that's used? No, I yeah, agree. That, yeah. that is one that has um, been debated. But that, uh, that, um, The second quick thing is that your, your claim that God would not um, include a story that was ambiguous um, is that that's just... That itself is not a claim made elsewhere in Scripture. I, I, will, I will say that. Um, you might uh, disagree, and we can argue that. Um, the third thing is I disagree about the weight or the importance of these uh, events, and that's sort of where that's getting us closer to where you just were, um, that these were necessary uh, for salvation history, um, for, the, for the gospel message that these events uh, literally happened. But this brings me to my fourth point, and then uh, I think, Michael, you have something to say that um, there's a position by John Walton. I think we actually talked about it uh, another time, Stephen. Um, and he has a book called The Lost World of Genesis 1. And in that book, he um, basically says that he, um, he used to be a young earth person, 
Uh, but then as he got to know archaeology better and science better, he said, I, I can no longer hold that belief. Um, and so he, um, his new idea is basically he takes all of modern science's ideas about old earth and um, evolution of species and all that, except for as it has to do with humans. So he would say basically Genesis 1, creation of the earth, that is um, symbolic, um, and he has a very detailed, uh, good reason, I think, for why he says that, because um, he says that Genesis 1 is outlining um, a temple um, a temple theology for the creation of man, and I can explain that later if y'all care, but then he goes on to say Genesis 2, however, is historical, that humans did not evolve from like apes or anything like that. Humans were a um, sort of ex machina uh, creation into this already old world um, where he creates these uh, humans and then they, or he creates Adam and Eve and they have the literal fall event. So he maintains all of that. Um, and I think it, it might even be worth my effort, even though I'm not, I don't know that I um, believe that, is to defend that because that's sort of a middle ground that I'm more comfortable with. Um, and that I think that might even be easier that you don't even have to get rid of those things. Um, but that, that's all I have for now. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I, I think it's always helpful towards the beginning of debates. And, um, you know, of course, we, we don't uh, plan to solve everything tonight. But, of course, anytime you're debating someone, you'd like to at least know that they're listening to you and what you have to say. Um I, this is a bit of an off-the-wall question for both of you, but I'd like for each of you to outline two points uh, upon which that if the other person was convinced of those things, you think they would then agree with you. So what two things does the other person have to know, uh, or, or if they agreed with it, would they then agree with what you're saying? And then I'd also like for you to give one or two points that if you were convinced of the, that point, that you would then change your mind to the other side. Now, I know that you might need a list of, you know, a 10 or a dozen or a hundred things to change, but what are one or two important things that you could be convinced of that might lead you towards the other side? D Daniel, why don't you start us off? Okay, so I'll start with a couple of things that I think would help Stephen get to my side, and then I'll give one that would help me get to his side. Um, I think uh, Stephen would be much more sympathetic to my side if, uh, A, he believed that um, the Bible is a more um, human-influenced book than he presently does, not to say that... Um, humans altered God's word, but that God uh, filtered his word through humans. That's a better way of saying it. Um, and then two, I think uh, he might also come to my side um, if he thought that modern uh, science was done by people with the utmost uh, intellectual honesty. Um, that they are uh, trying, uh, that they are to the best of human ability using reasoning to come to their 
conclusions that um, that bring them to say a certain uh, an older age for the earth and for human civilization and things like that. Okay. Now, and what I'm, I think I, I'm going to ask, sorry, I'm going to ask Stephen to react to those later on. So Stephen, try to remember those two, but Daniel, okay. go ahead and give us the one uh, that would convince you yeah. of Stephen's side. And I think it's the opposite of the first thing that I said for him, which is if I became convinced of um, the Bible's uh, uniformity and how it uh, imparts divine knowledge that is all supposed to be interpreted in the same uh, uniform uh, as edict from God, uh, if that makes sense. Okay, thank you. So, Stephen, right. do you uh, can can you outline for us two things that you think Daniel needs to be convinced of to come to your side, and then one thing that you would have to be convinced of to go to his side? So I think that uh, the abundance of the uh, references of Adam and the creation story within the New Testament that clearly show that it's not being used in a symbolic manner, that Jesus also references uh, creation. But the main point that Noah and both Adam are mentioned as specific individuals for their act of faith shows that they are not just people that are symbolic that either the flood happened or it didn't happen and if Noah's a fictional character then why is he being referenced as a, a character of faith in Hebrews why is Adam uh, a, as a specific individual mentioned in the fact that sin entered the world through him if they are just symbolic people uh, and uh, I, I need to have these verses uh, better uh, or more readily available if I'm going to be mentioning all these verses about Adam um, just so that we can see that they are being used in a manner that are not symbolic. The, let me mention one more thing with the first point is that Adam is also mentioned in the genealogy given in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, if if this was not a person, then why are we acting like he is a father of somebody if this person didn't even actually exist? Um, we, I mean, we have a timeline. It's given to us uh, that this was the father of this person, this was the father of that person. If there was not, if he wasn't the father of him, then why are we acting like he was? Um, okay, so my second point would have to be that scientific evidence all over the world shows that there was a major catastrophic event. And this is really in response to your second thing that you think would... Uh, bring me over to your side. And so I think we're just uh, at uh, completely contrasting ideas. You say that I should feel that there are honest scientists that have good intentions. And I'm saying the vast majority of scientists today are all atheists. So why in the world would I give them the time of day when they completely deny the existence of God and they are only looking at the world from an atheist point of view? They don't even consider to look at the world from a biblical point of view. And so, thank goodness that we have a few biblical creationist uh, scientists out there that will actually examine what we have in nature around us from a biblical point of view and say, this right here shows that there was a flood, and this also supports it, and these are all the things that support the idea of creation. And so if we start to actually look at people that do have some integrity 
and even they, you know, uh, are a little bit one-sided sometimes, but at least they're coming from the right starting point. Um, and so once we can kind of give the other side the time of day, when they're in the minority, then I think that we can probably make some common ground there. Okay. And thank you, Stephen and Daniel. I'll have you respond to those later. Uh, Stephen, do you have, is there something to you that if you changed your mind on this one thing, uh, you might be more prone to go over to Daniel's side? Uh, I think if I found um, clear inconsistencies in scripture that showed that the, uh, the word of uh, what is claimed to be the word of God is um, uh, really man-created, uh, which claimed to be inspired by God, then I don't necessarily think that I would, I would certainly leave my position. I wouldn't necessarily go with Daniel. I'd probably just, you know, become an atheist at that point because I would completely yeah, write but, off the entire... But can you, uh, I, I don't know, um, can you conceive of one where it would land you where I'm at, though? Because that's what I'm more I, concerned about. I think I think that's a good question, sure. Daniel. Well, uh, okay, so yeah, I think uh, if there were other instances of clear symbolism of uh, of events in an impactful uh, section of scripture, then yes, I would. Okay, L let me go ahead. And, I think Daniel asked a good question there, and I want to kind of broaden up just a little bit to give both of y'all a chance. Um, do you feel like there is anything that the other person is saying at this point that they're not being malicious about it, but it doesn't seem like they understand what you believe about the subject that they, that they're arguing with someone else that's not holding your position. Uh, and you might say no, but do either of y'all believe that, um, that you're not being heard correctly? Um, see, I mean, Stephen's first comment just then makes me think that a little bit uh, that um, that I'm trying to say that there there is no inspiration or authority to scripture. But I mean, his second comment sort of uh, adjusted or corrected for that. So I'm not that worried about it. Yeah. And if for any of our listeners who have made it this far, uh, I should note that um, as the moderator here, I, I should just go ahead and say that I actually agree with Stephen on uh, on the issue broadly, but uh, I respect Daniel and in, in the way that he is uh, discussing these things. So that's why I think it's worth having this position uh, or I, I think his You're position, no his position is worth you, listening you, to. You, you, Stephen, go ahead. on the fence anymore. It's going to say you're no longer a moderator. You've completely taken sides. You're not in, impartial. All, all yeah, moderators. I need a new moderator. We're going to have yeah. to. All moderators to always have a position. I'm just man enough to tell you what mine is. So, um, well, let me go ahead and say this though that uh, so with that in mind, Daniel, I think that your first position on things that Stephen would have to change his mind on, um, I, I want to make sure to. to see the nuance in the words you were using. I think Stephen does acknowledge that there are uh, genres of scripture. You know, he acknowledges that some things are meant to be um, 
meant to be parables, meant to be uh, uh, apocryphal, you know, D Daniel or Revelation, you know, they're not actually telling you what's going to happen. There's poetry. Um, but y'all just disagree about these specific chapters. Well, okay. So um, to, to respond to that, uh, I my first point had been about um, God's message through human words, through man's words or whatever. Um, that's actually the name of a book. Um, and yeah, so we disagree on if this one passage is a certain genre. Um, and I, and I could make points for why I think it's, um, that you should interpret it as a mythic genre, um, or a symbolic genre. And Stephen, I'm sure, has, uh, counterpoints for that. And while I think I could maybe make my case that way, um, I do want to go further than that, than just to disagree on the genre. And I, I am standing by, it's important that you interpret the Bible in a, in a certain way, um, or you understand its composition worked in a certain way. Um, because Stephen makes it actually a great point, um, which is, it's, I'm sure some people do, but I have a hard time conceiving of a way that you can maintain this position um, with Luke, uh, chap uh, what is it, chapter 3 with the genealogy, where it yeah. starts with Adam, um, that it's hard to maintain this position in that verse where the genealogy starts with Adam, unless you have a hermeneutic that allows you to say that Luke um, is, I mean, you can maybe make the case that there's something symbolic there, but I, I think that's it's harder to make that than it is to say that um, he is working through an understanding where Adam literally, like he actually thinks that, but I don't think that affects his ability to write the gospel of Jesus. Um, and that so that's a much further thought. liberal position than I would hope to have argued on this episode, but I may have to. I may be in a corner. I gotta bring out uh, all of the, all of my weapons. So yeah, my response to that is uh, that there are a lot of things that I'm not not sure about, or things uh, how to explain. Uh, and a couple of them that I had mentioned to you guys the other day is one: where are all the people coming from uh, towards the beginning of time? Uh, uh, all the, the nation that Cain has at whatever point, I mean, I know these people have long lifespans and the, the, uh, the rate of generation of people could, I mean, by the time of the flood, I've seen numbers as high as like 4 billion people could have been on the earth by that time. Um, and so uh, another one is there's the, the mention of um, the Nephilim, uh, once before the flood, and then also they are mentioned again after the flood. And so how are these people still in existence? And uh, another one that I'll throw in there, and this might be stuff that we need to get into in our uh, second episode on this topic, that uh, it mentions Cain's descendants in uh, Genesis 4, verses 20 through 22, that they had these, they were the ones that uh, were able to play the harp and the lyre. And so... Well, if all of them died, then who, how did they learn how to play the harp and the lyre after the flood? Um, so, you know, there's some things that uh, don't seem to make sense with that 
I mean, the earth completely changed at the, uh, the point of the flood. And so people that look at those verses say, well, the flood was just local. Uh, okay, well, if you're going to even side with a little bit of the flood, then it's got to be a global catastrophe rather than just a local flood. I'm not um, a I'm not a geologist, but I um, I think that that I mean I think geologists do have uh, theories like that. I mean uh, Vesuvius, the the volcanic eruption, which was like long into the civilization of man in Rome um, or in Pompeii um, in the Roman Empire. Uh, that I mean that alone, that's one volcanic eruption which has huge geological effects. Um, across a large portion of the known world at that time. And they have other stuff like ice ages. I don't know anything about that. I'm not going to pretend like I do. But I, they do have stuff for that. Continue, Stephen. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's uh, scientific things that we can look at, and then there's also just the whole timeline that we can look at through uh, Scripture and see how things exactly line up um, and... One thing that I'll throw out there, if we want to look at the days of creation specifically, it used to be, and this was my whole point, was that there are a lot of, there's not a clear line of symbolism. Uh, At first you were talking, some people say that only Genesis 1 is symbolic. Some people say Genesis 1 and 2 are symbolic. Some people go all the way out to Genesis 1 through 11. And uh, so it's a very unclear and not concrete uh, belief system that, and it's young, it's fresh. It used to be that most people just thought creation itself was, um, they would go to the, is it first or second Peter, that, where Peter says one day is like a, a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. One, one of those uh, books that yeah, makes yeah. that. And then they would say, well, the days of creation could have been millions of years. And so there's a lot of things that you can look at uh, to say that, the millions of years could not have existed within those days because, well, the first one that I'd go to is that Jesus is referencing as 24-hour days in the New Testament and that it would not have, plants could not have existed without animals and things like that. Not to say that God's miraculous powers couldn't have made it happen. It's just that it just does not fit the flow of how nature works in the, it's a, the, physical properties of how creation is yeah um i do want to make clear clear for anyone listening that i am not arguing that point um and uh i i don't think that that is a credible point to say that the the days in the days of creation are like eons um which the the word day can be translated in different ways that's fine um but i very much will uh, argue that chapter one of Genesis is talking about six literal days um, in its own, like it's in its internal logic. It is talking about six so literal I'll, days. I'll ask like, what does difference that make does it make if if it's all symbolic anyway? Sorry, say it again. I'm just saying, what difference does it make if it's millions of years or days if none of it actually happened to begin with? If it's symbolic. That's just the integrity of of the writing itself, that if you hold Daniel's position, then at least you're allowing the the text to say what it actually says. So, D- Daniel, I, I think that is commendable of you to say that if, you know, 
depending on where you come down on this question, we do know that it's seven literal or six literal days of creation. So this is not a point of contention. Let's let's. And I don't. I know you don't like this expression, but this does then beg the question. So what actually happened? What are you actually saying that happened? Uh, what is Genesis symbolic of? If it's symbolic, uh, what is it symbolic of? So uh, I think Walton. Uh, okay, there's there's a few answers to that question. I'll try to be succinct um, to say that um, Walton, the guy who wrote the Lost World of Genesis one. His position is he's saying that it is very common in ancient cultures to um, – that, that there is a way – it's been a while since I read this book, so forgive me anyone who is more familiar with it um, – that temples are often designed in the same way, uh, the same way that the tabernacle is actually designed, um, where you have this sort of heavenly – so if you put the tabernacle up like vertically like this, you have the, uh, the Holy of Holies at the top. And then you have this sort of barrier between it. And then, uh, as you may recall, it has uh, the lampstand in there, which is cre- – uh, or no, it has the incense. Um, so there's like a sort of clouds going on because incense is giving off this smoke. And then uh, outside of the gate – or so you have bread and uh, lamps and stuff. And then even further below that, if you were to stand it up, is the basin with the water – um, and so he's making the case that ancient temples were, a lot of them were designed like that. Um, and the idea is that that's what's actually described, um, in Genesis one is this cosmos that is shaped like that, where you have this heavenly place at the top, and then you have this barrier, this firmament, as the King James would say, clouds, water at the bottom, stuff like that. So he's making the case that Genesis one is telling us that the world is God's temple. Um, another, I think, just the more generalized version of that is simply to say that Genesis 1 is describing a creation story, um, regardless of if the person who wrote it knew about the history of the world. He's giving us a creation story, and the importance of the story um, is not about the actual age of the rocks that he's standing on. It's to tell us that God is in control of the created universe. Those okay, are well, the those are some of the main uh, I mean, ways. Uh, the point that I'm wanting to get to is where did man come from? Um, so again, with the John Walton position, you can just say that man is man is um, out of the blue created from the dust of the earth. Um, but I mean, there are. Another, the further left position is to say that man evolved. Uh, however, science if science tells us in a hundred years, oh, actually, man did uh, pop out of the ground or something. I don't know. Whatever, it, whatever science told us, and right now they're telling us they evolved from um, from other species and they came into being that way. That's, I mean, that'd be the further left answer. That then, obviously, mm-hmm. I recognize creates the question of. Um, how do you get the fall? What What is that all about? But I'll let you make your points. So, uh, just I, from a scientific standpoint, we see that um, we do have a – there's one race that's uh, something that the Genome Project has identified. Um, and the fact that that isn't clue enough for them to, that God created mankind, it kind of blows my mind. Anyway, but the fact that we know that there's one race and that there's 
actually, I cannot remember it. I want to say that there's 60 uh, language origins or something less than that, I want to say, uh, that really explains the Tower of Babel and that it is actually historically accurate also. The, the, there's a lot of things that are missing from if, if, if there was a singular man that was created that I guess you're, I guess siding with that, Daniel, then the whole, um, our scientific findings regarding reproduction would then have to also show that the Bible is a literal event in Genesis as well. That we do not have anything that would show us that other things besides humans were reproducing from the times that we think humans actually started to exist. Uh, what in the world were the, uh, it, was it coincidence that a man and a woman both happened to evolve at the same time and then civilization just began? Why did, or cause what happened if only a man would have evolved and had nothing to breed with, you know? Um, once I, you start throwing trillions of years into it, you can, you know, explain right. anything away though. Yeah. And, and I, so Stephen, what you're saying there, I actually think goes to not, I'm Daniel, I'm not assigning this to you, but, um, when you, when you argue with someone that believes in evolution, um, what the scientist will do is just say, okay, fine. Give us another trillion years that could have occurred by chance. And you, right. you can't and really argue side, with someone say, who well, has God no outer it. bound on on how far back it can go. Now, the the one place where I I, th I think it's useful to go is to to skip all of that and to say, okay, so you say that evolution caused this to happen over the course of time. What whatever, I don't want to argue with with you about that. Where did it all begin? Um, now, that's where I think Daniel might take the theistic evolution standpoint and Daniel feel free to disagree with me but that that God created the origins for what mainstream scientists would say occurred uh, Daniel do you have a reflection on that um, I mean my main thing is to say I am not here to answer scientific right. okay. questions um, That's I don't know but yeah I, I typically do identify with theistic evolution to say uh I don't know. Science, yeah, evolution does seem sort of um, ridiculous to me, like long odds, that is to say. Um, and so it's supposed to. Uh, yeah, um, they would say that. How are we created? Sort of. How are we created in the image of God if we evolved from apes? Well, uh, I'll answer. I, I mean, I'm I'm comfortable answering that question. That saying that. If you believe in theistic evolution, what you would say is that God directed the process of evolution, knowing that it would eventually culminate in sentient man, and that he allowed a man and a woman to come at the same time to, to evolve and to start the human race. I mean, St Stephen, you can't argue with people who are going – and Daniel, my apologies, I'm going to argue – <laughs> uh, within our, within me and Stephen's position, but Stephen, you can't argue with a group that will just make the whatever evidence they, they choose will make it the fit narrative. their side. So, they, it, you know, it's an adjustment. I, but no, it does. It is a legit question to ask that um, a man evolving from something else is not made in the image of God. It was 
because that's not what they are anymore. They they came from something else. They were made in the image of apes. Well, okay. So once again, I agree with you, Stephen. That said, um, if if God Himself told me that actually, well, this is how I did it. I I think the the answer that that I mean, God's answer would obviously be true and believable, but it's it's worth considering that um, God could have meant it in a way that is different from the way that we understand it. Uh, yeah, I think that's the best way to go about answering that question. Again, I, we've talked before in the past, Stephen, that part of I, I, Walton's position is actually um, nice in that way, that it gets around the hardest part about theistic evolution, which is dealing with... Um, the the importance of the fall and um, the image of God having a soul, all that stuff. How does that happen along a such a gradient line of uh, human evolution? Um, to Michael's question, though, uh, I think um, the best way to go about answering that is to say. Our urge to ask, what is it? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Because if it's the shape of the body, um, then apes are very so, similarly shaped. Um, so they're partially made in the image of God, like they're almost there. They're eighty well, percent there. Um, or but do, do ugly do ugly people the, like the me apes have souls? Exactly. Thank you, Michael. That that's the that's sort of the the linchpin to this argument. Is Michael's face, but um, I think um, going trying. I think it's not far fetched at all. In fact, I think a lot of people in our own fellowship understand being made in the image of God as having some sort of spiritual significance, and so the connection to previous species, apes, I guess, um, is insignificant. But go ahead, Stephen. So yeah, a couple things um, that. Uh, the whole image of God and the origin of sin, if you completely change and make everything um, allegoric or figurative, then, yeah, you can change the meaning of everything that it means of what is sin, what is death, what is, uh, what it, I guess you could even change what eternal life means. But the main thing that I guess uh, is the hurdle that if you change the meaning of it, if you, um, regarding humans being created in the in the image of god if you change that then yeah if it isn't what it actually sounds like then you can make the bible into anything you want at that point and so uh the another important um, part of this discussion is realizing that the bible is not written in english and that hebrew is um in some ways a more complex language uh, given that there are more limited vocabulary i mean you're talking about in interpreting that in the most obvious sense, I mean, it's not, it isn't entirely obvious. In fact, the, we've talked about this, that the word uh, there for image of God is the same word for idol of a God. Um, and I think that actually makes the best case that this is, image of God is meant to be, is meant to say, like, we are God's representation on earth to, um, and that goes further into the end of chapter one 
where man is directed to cultivate the earth. Yeah. Um, okay. So y'all are both making interesting points here. I, I do want to say that we're a bit limited on time. Um, so I want us to spend, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes um, kind of getting more at the question of um, the sal- uh, the relevance of this question to salvation. Um and specifically, why or why not, how you answer this question can affect um, your view on other issues that might potentially influence your, your salvation state. Or maybe you might even believe that this very question itself, I, I, I don't know, but um, why should the other side be accepting of your position or not accepting? So, um, Daniel, why don't you go first here? Okay. Um, there's a lot to answer in that. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I think the, uh, the importance of, um, or how this affects other issues and other important issues is to remember, this was in my opening statement, that this position um, is, I, I'm taking a position that maintains the authority and inspiration of scripture. Um, I mean, you may disagree, say it's incorrect, but it is not a position that is denying that the, that the word of God is inspired. Um, it says the word is inspired and this is how we understand, um, that inspiration to be working in these chapters. Um, and I think that's really important. And so we do have faith in the Bible. We understand that it's complex and it may not be simple to understand um, the entire document of Scripture, uh, but we do uh, have faith that it does lead us to the simple gospel, um, which can be known by all, um, and that is that God has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ um, and has made himself available to all people. Um, and so that that's how it is important uh, Mike, what was your second question? So how, how should someone on the other side, uh, or how should your side view someone on the other side as far as salvation goes, or how should they view you? Are both sides acceptable? Okay. Yeah. So for, for my position, I mean, uh, my, my position does say that the other side is wrong. Um, I'm saying there's a way to interpret the Bible it leads us to this conclusion, the other side is incorrect. Uh, but by no means do I think that um, their soul is in jeopardy by maintaining that wrong position. Um, in fact, it, it may even lead to uh, greater faith um, in some ways. Um, but I, 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 you can still maintain that it's wrong, um, but it, it's not uh, going to condemn the person by any means. Steve? Well, uh, I'm glad that we both agree on the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, I disagree, however, on the limit of the inspiration that uh, the writers uh, had their forms and functions. It's God's word. He chose to write through these people and deliver the message. And if he couldn't get the actual message through those specific authors, then he wouldn't have used them. And so um, I, I think that 
if we can call the gospel clear, then we can certainly call Genesis clear as well. I don't think it's fair to say that uh, Genesis should be made uh, into something that is ambiguous when if you just read it simply, I mean, anybody can read it and it makes sense by the words uh, that are being used. Um, and again, I, I know it was written in Hebrew and has been translated into English now. But yes, these words can be simply translated to what we are reading today. Um, and so I think it's just by definition that y- your stance is very open-minded that you're not going to condemn anybody because, uh, it, you know, you could take either side on it. Now, however, from the definition of my stance is that there are implications that if it is not the way that, uh, from a literal standpoint, then it, at this point, it, uh, from, from my stance, it contradicts other scriptures and makes the gospel inaccurate and incomplete in that, um, the story does not, or the events do not actually line up to what other scriptures say. And so then we have a problem. Um, and from, from a scientific standpoint, it wouldn't make sense. From a timeline uh, perspective, it wouldn't make sense. And so that is, as far as the salvation implications, that you are, you are following uh, a writing that is incomplete and inaccurate. And so that is why I would say that, um, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that it is a salvation issue, but if you, if you knew the truth and then, then chose to ignore it, then at that point, obviously it is a salvation issue. Um, I, I do want, can I make some more retorts? I know this is sure. sort of closing arguments. Um, so one, I think a great idea for future podcasts um, or a couple ideas would be talking about just interpretation in general and how we're supposed to read the Bible. Um, and also another one is the knowledge of the authors and specifically maybe even the knowledge of Jesus. Um, that's uh, a fun topic to talk talk hmm. about is what, yeah. what did Jesus know? Um, but uh more specifically to respond to some of what you were saying is, and we talked about this at the beginning, I, maybe we're just going in circles, but to say that it, the Bible is not inaccurate and flawed and thus we can't um, rely on it if the Bible never claims to be um, accurate in the same way that you're reading it to be accurate. Um, that So an example of that is to say, if Max Lucado gives us a, if he has, he writes a book, and has a simple truth, well, let's, for the sake of the argument, just assume it's true what the message of the book is. But it's something like, uh, grace, is, grace is good. We can all agree on that. Um, but in his story, there, uh, he has a, I know he has like a story about like a wooden Pinocchio sort of character, I think. If yeah, he has that, one of those where he doesn't fully abide by the physical laws of nature for how wooden boys would work um, had the, <laughs> if they were real, um, that does not negate the point of his book. Um, in fact, he would probably tell you like, I, I didn't care about that. I didn't care about 
uh, the physics of wooden boys. I'm telling you a different kind of story. And that's what I, that's how I'm trying to make this case that the Bible is still reliable because it wasn't claiming to be something um, that it's not. So if I say, hey, it's not reliable in this sense, that doesn't actually matter because it never said it was reliable in that sense. That, that's the art. I just want to make sure that makes sense. Uh, really quick, I think it's important to reference here that Daniel was talking about Max Licato's book called Your Special, His Story About the Wemix. So for all of our <laughs> listeners wanting to look that one up. So, um, one last thing uh, before we go, um, and Stephen, or whoever has one, I'll, I'll let you go first. Um, do you have a question for each other? Maybe something that you want a direct answer to or something you just don't understand from the other side, you know, why they believe that or um, something that you might be helpful for our listeners. I think that what I would uh, say to the listeners is, is just read through Genesis one through 11 and I would also maybe go a, maybe a few more chapters deeper into to the story of Abraham. See if you can actually find a segue of where it changes from being symbolic to literal, or if it would make sense that it would be literal all the way through. Look at the characters and the stories that actually are being told. And does it make sense that uh, they would be told in a symbolic manner, or do you see characters that are uh, specifically described? Um, in a uh, in a very specific way that shows that um, this is not uh, they're referencing uh, ideas and concepts that wouldn't be actually mentioned in the symbolic story. Um, once you actually read through it, I think that there's a lot of things that stick out that would make you think, well, this wouldn't be written in a symbolic way and uh, talked about in this manner um, if it was supposed to be symbolic. Daniel, do you have uh, anything to say? And I'll make a closing comment after that. Um, I don't have any questions that I can think of. I, I think I, I understand Stephen's view, and that is in part because I held that for the vast majority of my life until very recently. Um, so it makes sense to me. It It doesn't... It doesn't seem silly or illogical to me. Um, uh, a closing sort of remark, perhaps, would be, obviously, without actually knowing it, uh, I think if you do go look at scientifically excellent and peer-reviewed material um, that is dealing with the topics that um, creationist science is often critiquing that you will find that they're often straw man arguments. Um, and I, I think that helps to make the case um, at, in some ways. And I think it's also important to um, familiarize oneself with how ancient uh, documents are written and seeing the similarities between other ancient sources in the Bible and uh, it becomes more obvious that of how ancient people write and the sort of things they do when they write. And part of that includes mythic creation stories, um, in addition to detailed characters and 
um, important theological lessons. Um, it just so happens that our mythic story gives us the greatest theological lesson um, that's ever been um, until the New Testament. Okay. Well, thank you both for participating in this debate, this discussion. Um, to our listeners, I hope that you would agree with me that uh, this has been a civil discussion. It's, it's between brothers who love each other, uh, and more importantly than that, uh, Christian brothers who, who love each other. Um, just a word to our listeners, any time that you are considering a difficult topic or something where you disagree with someone, uh, we encourage you to assume the best in the, in the person that you know that you are disagreeing with, uh, and also to hear them out. Uh, let them uh, be able to, to speak their mind and to walk through them, walk through with them uh, those things that you disagree on. Also, when you're thinking about changing your mind, when you're thinking about uh, making a decision on a topic such as this one, make sure that you consider the best arguments from both sides. Uh, don't go to a straw man on one side and the best arguments on others or straw men on both sides. I think uh, both of our debaters have presented what they believe to be the best arguments, and I think that they respect each other's arguments in that way. Um, of course, even moderators uh, come with our own biases. Um, so hopefully uh, you've had some of your questions answered. Um, but to the extent that you haven't, uh, please feel free to reach out to anyone that was uh, any of the, the three Crouch brothers. And we're happy to dialogue on these important issues. And uh, what it comes down to is honoring God and wanting his kingdom to be furthered. And I have no doubt in my mind that both of my brothers want that. So thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll see you next time.